Today from the Global Lane, Great American Breakup. A growing number of counties want to leave their states. Citizens in Eastern Oregon lead the way. It's almost like a divorce. We've got a, a division in the state that is almost not reconcilable. Late summer natural disasters. Move over, Greta. Climate change activists have a new spokesperson, Ukrainian President Zelensky. He thinks we need to end the war so that the world and the world's leaders can focus on really important problems like the non-existent climate crisis. Biden takes on Bezos as the FTC moves to break up Amazon. I think that it would result in a worse off situation for many Americans because what this seemingly is is the FTC embracing Bidenomics, which frankly makes no sense. And win or lose, college and professional football stars honor God. He laid his, his life on the, on the cross for us, man. Like, I really believe that. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. You may recall Neil Sedaka's 1960 hit song, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Well, in Oregon, breaking up may be a step closer to reality. Twelve counties in that state, mostly conservative and rural ones, have voted to split from the liberal western part of Oregon. They want to become part of the neighboring state of Idaho. Dale Hurd explains in this report about the greater Idaho movement. Folks here in eastern Oregon will tell you there are really two Oregons. They point to a mostly liberal western Oregon and a mostly conservative eastern Oregon. These two regions are separated by much more than the majestic Cascade Mountain Range. The western part is dominated by Portland, an urban bastion of progressive policy that prides itself on being weird. Portland is also plagued by epidemic levels of crime, drug abuse, homelessness, and mental illness. Because of its large population, Portland drives state politics. Portland's leaders have become state leaders, and Portland's progressive policies have become state policies. That's resulted in drug legalization, gun control, gender and environmental laws being forced on the very conservative communities of rural eastern Oregon. You know, if, if you stop and think about it, it's almost like a divorce. Mike McCarter is the president of Citizens for Greater Idaho. Do I agree with divorce? No. But uh, it, it happens. And that's, so that's what we've got. We've got a, 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 a division in the state that is almost not reconcilable. Just over the Cascades in the eastern Oregon community of Lapine, I sat down with supporters of the Greater Idaho Movement. All were concerned about how Western Oregon's liberal agenda was being forced on them and their families. We're dealing with a state that is democratic and liberal. We're Christians and um, the social agenda that's being pushed by the Democratic Party is really more than offensive to us. Our schools here, they're all going downhill. All the kids, their education is going downhill. We don't really have a voice. Um, they're silenced completely. I'm tired of, of watching the state fall apart. I don't want it to turn into another California. If I thought the movement was going to fail, I'd right now start taking more steps to get out of this state. There are, of course, plenty of critics who say this campaign has zero chance of becoming reality. But the folks behind this movement feel as if they have no choice but to try. We don't think we're wasting our time. The people that are voting for this don't think we're wasting our time. We see this as a solution that makes sense. 
is a win-win for everybody involved, and the people support it. Matt McCaw is the spokesman for Citizens for Greater Idaho. State lines have moved before uh, in the United States multiple times. So this absolutely can happen as soon as the elected leaders in Idaho and Oregon decide that it makes sense for everybody involved to happen. The Oregon-Washington border shifted as recently as 1958. However, getting Oregon and Idaho and Congress to sign on to this proposal would be a tall order. Polls have shown a majority of Idahoans would favor the creation of a greater Idaho. The Idaho House passed a non-binding memorial welcoming talks with Oregon on the matter. But the Idaho Senate failed to act on the issue in the last legislative session. Dale Hurd joins us to provide some additional insights. Dale, we referenced the old Neil Sedaka song, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. And when it comes to those 12 eastern Oregon counties splitting from the state and joining Idaho, just how hard will it be to accomplish? Is breaking up hard to do? Very hard in this case, because if you, you want to change state borders, it involves two state legislatures and Congress. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, root, I'm rooting for them. I think we all, you know, we all want to have the people to have the government that they want for themselves. But, you know, I have to say, this really looks like a, a long shot. I will say they've been very shrewd in their approach. They've essentially been enticing liberals with the prospect of, hey, you know, if we leave, that's one more political obstacle out of your way in Salem. You'll have a super majority and you can create this progressive paradise like you've always wanted to. So, you know, perhaps that will work. I just don't see politicians giving up land and constituents. Well, and the tax base, right? Uh, you know, I could see Idaho maybe accepting them in, but will they ever allow them to go, the people in the western part of the state? And that's almost all property taxes, because we're talking about the poor part of this state and only 10% of its population. It's not a big revenue-generating part of the state, but it's a big part of, air, of Oregon's land, its territory. And you and I, Dale, are originally from the state of Michigan, and we know how youpers, those are people in the Upper Peninsula, how disconnected they are from Detroit, Flint, even Grand Rapids. And for years, they felt unrepresented in Lansing, uh, the capital, and they even talked about becoming a new state, the state of Superior. So uh, we were never really, we didn't think there was much really about that. But how is this happening in other states? Are they growing into a serious movement elsewhere, separating? There's a lot of them, but again, they have these obstacles in which they don't control the state governments they want to leave. Uh, in New Yorkers, for instance, know that upstate New York has been introducing, upstate New Yorkers have been introducing secession legislation for decades, almost every year, and that's not going anywhere. You have this new Illinois movement. That's both the name of it and it's a new movement. And, but because Chicago is introducing these radical policies that are completely out of touch with the rest of the state. But again, are politicians going to just give up their power and let people leave? I, it, it, I don't see that happening. And what's, what are the ramifications then, quickly, uh, for the United States of America? Succeed or not, what does it mean about political divisions? They're very deep, and you can see that in Oregon. When you go from the progressive cities over the Cascades, it's almost like time traveling. That's how much different the culture is in eastern Oregon. Okay, Dale Hurd, thank you for providing those additional insights. We appreciate it, Dale. Good work. Thank you.
Record-shattering summertime heat, Maui wildfires, hurricanes and typhoons, flooding and tropical storm surge. Are you feeling climate anxiety? Vice President Kamala Harris warns climate change is causing young people to reconsider their future. You know, I've heard young leaders talk with me about a, a term they've coined called climate anxiety. Right? Which is fear of, of, of the future and the unknown, of whether it makes sense for you to even think about having children, whether it makes sense for you to think about aspiring to buy a home, because yep. what will this climate be? Our next guest believes you can go ahead and start a family, buy a house. There's no crisis, no need to panic over climate change. Gregory Wrightstone is executive director of the CO2 Coalition. Greg, it's good to see you again. So all these recent weather events are causing climate anxiety. So what do you tell young yeah. people about global climate change in the world's future? Well, let's just summarize what you said. It's hurricane season, and we have hurricanes. It's fire season, and we have fires. And it's summer, and it's hot. Uh, these things have happened before, and they'll happen again. This isn't, and we're not seeing anything unusual or unprecedented. And in fact, um, these these children are being fed uh, a completely fake story of this climate crisis. If you look at actually what's happening, uh, we find that the modest warming that we've seen, and we are in a warming trend, uh, the warming of 1.2 degrees since 1900, combined with more CO2, uh, is leading to Almost every metric we look at shows that ecosystems are thriving and prospering and humanity is benefiting from that combination of mild warming and increasing CO2. And Ukrainian President Zelensky is talking regularly now about catastrophic climate change. And just last week at the UN, he warned that extreme weather is having an impact on normal global life. Some critics of climate change hysteria say, move over Greta. Zelensky's now the new poster person of the movement. So what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, he just wants more funding. He thinks we need to end the war against Russia quickly by letting them win it and giving them more money, more arms, uh, so that the world and the world's leaders can focus on really important problems like the non-existent climate crisis. Uh, I'm going to call him out on that. Uh, he's really wrong about this, as are uh, many of the other world leaders that are pushing their nations to the brink of economic collapse by embracing a net zero strategy. Well, let's continue on that with the UN. At their opening session, outgoing General Assembly President Chaba Qureshi uh, said time is running out. The UN goal is to prevent the Earth's surface temperature from rising beyond two Celsius by the end of the century, or at least one and a half Celsius compared to the Industrial Revolution. So. Greg, how can the U.N. accomplish that? How do they expect to control normal fluctuations in Earth's temperature, that of the sun? I guess solar emissions were the highest ever recorded during the August heat wave. Oh, well, let's let's explore this. Most people talk about it. We can't let it get at one and a half degrees Celsius warmer. Well, that's actually one and a half degrees Celsius warmer than what it was at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And if we look, temperatures already increased 1.2 degrees. All right, so what they're warning us about is actually three-tenths of a degree Celsius or half a degree Fahrenheit. Um, when you look at things like this, all of these things just seem so ridiculous. Well, uh, World Weather Attribution scientists released a report recently saying human-caused uh, human climate change uh, played a big role 
In the flood tragedy in Derna, Libya, the people there say the government neglected to maintain those two dams at birth. So what do you think? Global climate change, they caused the flooding in Derna? Well, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no documented increase of, of those storms. Uh, it wasn't an unusual storm that hit there, but they, they happened periodically. But again, yes, you're right, it was the infrastructure that had been ignored uh, for many, many decades uh, that led to that. It wasn't that the storm caused, it, it was the dam collapse that killed all those people. Uh, and so let's, let's, we, what we see is actually there has been a slight rise in precipitation over the last 100 or so years. That's true. Uh, it's a modest rise in precipitation, but that's, that's actually leading to healthy growth of crop. Uh, crops need a little bit more. That's certainly more beneficial than, than what would a drought be. Uh, the U.S. is fast approaching an election year. What do you expect to hear from the candidates on the issue of climate change? Is, uh, how should we respond to that? What do you expect? Well, I think that we should, my advice is we should use uh, all of Earth's resources for the betterment of mankind and do it as good stewards. Now, by using all, all of Earth's resources, I think we need to look critically at, at these renewable sources like solar and wind and when I say do it as good stewards, we'll find that uh, actually the green uh, energy sources that they're they're talking about aren't very uh, aren't very amenable to, to Earth's environment. We're finding that the cobalt's being mined, mined by young boys in the Congo, uh, and the solar panels are being constructed by Uyghur slaves in China. Uh, you know, it's rather than being proud and virtue signaling over your Tesla or your EV car, uh, we should make these people ashamed because what they're doing is promoting slave labor and child labor around the world and environmental destruction uh, for the rare earth metals and minerals. Gregory Wrightstone, CO2 Coalition Executive Director, thanks for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate you, Greg. Thank you, Gary. Washington rumors have circulated for years. Now it's official. The Federal Trade Commission is suing Amazon for alleged anti-competitive business practices. Although the Biden administration contends Amazon holds a monopoly, controlling the prices you pay for its goods and services, others say Amazon often acts as a third party, advertising and shipping other companies' products. Here to explain from Washington, D.C., is senior tech and innovation policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. Young Voices commentator James Chernowski. Uh, is this just the first step breaking up the Amazon monopoly? What do you think? Uh, would it be good for consumers or bad if they did that? I think that it would result in a worse off situation for many Americans because what this seemingly is is the FTC embracing Bidenomics, which frankly makes no sense. His economy has resulted in Americans paying over $10,000 more and I think that at the end of the day that Amazon actually is a good thing for consumers. So if we were to go and have Amazon break up as a result of the Amazon uh, monopoly antitrust lawsuit from the Federal Trade Commission, I think that that would leave Americans worse off all across the board. Well, how is that, James? Because generally you break up monopolies because they have a monopoly on the pricing. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the reality is that Amazon's not a monopoly. I'll, consumers have lots of alternatives available to them, especially in this digital economy. I do a lot of niche shopping online, and it doesn't always go through Amazon. So sometimes I like custom mugs or other kinds of little gifts and candies that I like to give to my friends. And I'm not always going to find that on Amazon. And consumers are very well aware of finding these alternatives. Actually, one of the fastest growing people in the e-commerce space right now, too, is Walmart. So let's not pretend that it's just simply Amazon dominating this, this ecosystem. It's just not true. Well, and it seems the president here is taking on Bezos, Jeff Bezos, one of the wealthiest men in the world who also owns, by the way, the Washington Post. And with an impeachment investigation underway in the House, the indictment of his son, is Biden playing with fire here because the Post could make or break him? I know you're too young, but I, I'm sure you know about your history. Nixon, Watergate, the Washington Post. Yeah, I think that at the end of the day that if President Biden and his Federal Trade Commission want to go and make it more expensive for Americans to go and live in this economy that he's trying to create, that's on his prerogative. And I think that it's to his detriment. Americans are not okay with the cost of living right now. It's their number one issue in the economy is the economy and inflation. And if you want to go and break up Amazon, one of the few services that are actually keeping prices lower, I don't know what to tell you. That's just asking for a lot of pain when you're going into a re-election year. Last May... The FTC charged Amazon with violating privacy laws. Remember that one for archiving the Alexa voice messages of children? Last June, the FTC filed a lawsuit against Amazon. It recently released new details. James, the FTC actually named three Amazon executives as defendants. Exactly what did they do that the FTC felt was harmful to 200 million Amazon Prime subscribers? And what are those new unredacted details? Yeah, that's a great question. And ultimately what's happening here is that the FTC is alleging that these particular executives knew that the practices that Amazon were doing were resulting in this harm to consumers. So therefore they felt that it rose to the level of including them in this lawsuit against Amazon. That's really what the crux of this case is. Well, what were they doing? What, were, what was Amazon doing that was harmful? Well, again, what they were alleging is that Amazon was engaging in using dark patterns to get consumers to sign up for Amazon Prime. And then when they realized after the fact that they had this charge showing up on their account, that it was more difficult for them to go and actually cancel their Prime subscription. But that's not necessarily the truth at all. I mean, it's actually really easy to cancel your Prime subscription. It actually takes as little as six clicks, according to my friend Patrick Hedger. And on the flip side, if you wanted to go and submit a comment to the Federal Trade Commission, it would take a lot more clicks to go and get that done. And it's nowhere near as transparent. So, again, I think that this is just the FTC going and chasing against Amazon because it's a big technology company, and that's what generates the headlines. Well, Amazon feels it was wrong for the FTC to name the three executives in that civil suit. And the company also says it's always made it clear and simple for people to sign up or cancel Prime. So just how easy or hard is it? What have you found? I found that it's extremely easy. I've been using Prime for years, though, and this is another point that Amazon brought up, is that even if they accidentally signed up for Prime, that the chances were more likely than not that they'd actually like the service so much that they continue using it anyway. And that's what I found for over years of using Amazon services. I've been going and having it since I was in college. It was good for me to go and get you know, free shipping and have access to Prime Video and some music. So there's a lot of benefits that are available to consumers. It's not like there's just this you know, magnificent harm that the FTC is trying to allege here. Okay. From our Washington Bureau, Senior Tech and Innovation Policy Analyst at Americans for Prosperity, Young Voices commentator, James Chernowski. Thanks for being with us, James. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. At a time when we've become used to pernicious remarks posted to social media, 
come some recent positive and uplifting words in college and professional football. First former NFL cornerback, now Colorado coach Deion Sanders. After Oregon's recent 42-6 blowout victory against the Buffaloes, Sanders posted a message to Instagram saying, quote, Lord, we thank you through it all. We praise you consistently because you deserve all the praise. We love you and magnify you, win or loss. We do that because with you, there is no loss. Amen. Dion's team may have suffered a temporary loss on the football field, but win or lose a football game, there's always eternal victory in Jesus Christ. And Deion Sanders wasn't the only one praising God after the game. Oregon Duck quarterback Bo Nix, who had a stellar performance in that win, expressed his gratitude after quoting Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. On Instagram, Nix said, Jesus, thank you for these moments. Since high school and during his time at Auburn and now at Oregon, Nix has proclaimed his faith repeatedly on social media. He referenced Psalm 147, 4 through 5 in one post, saying, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And finally, C.J. Stroud. How could this Michigan Wolverine forget him? On September 17th, the former Ohio State quarterback, now in the NFL with the Houston Texans, completed 30 of 47 passes for more than 380 yards against Indianapolis. Still, the Texans came up short, losing to the Colts 31-20. During a post-game press conference, Stroud said, pressure is a privilege. I'm blessed enough to wake up every day and to walk, to talk, to smell, to, to enact with people, to play football. Like These are all things we take for granted from day-to-day -day basis, but... Um, I try to do my best to thank God through all that because his grace and his mercy and his and he laid his, his life on the on the cross for us, man. Like, I really believe that, you know what I mean? So um, this is bigger than this ball. And if I have to use football for my purpose to to spread the, the gospel and, and, and the life of Jesus Christ, then I'll do that. And I think that's what God wants. Um, but at the same time, I want to win too. So I'm going to keep, that's why. <laughs> so I, that's why I keep fighting, man. I'm going to keep fighting my tail off, man. And Stroud did fight. The following Sunday, the Texans bounced back to beat the Jaguars 37-17. Stroud passed for 280 yards with 20 completions and two touchdowns. Folks, isn't it refreshing to see college and NFL athletes openly, unashamedly share their faith in public? Yes, we could use more public reminders of God and His love in our society today. Less violence, less hate. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, iTunes, and Rumble. And until next time, be blessed.